It is so good to worship with you tonight. We're in a series actually called A Sacrifice of Praise that's all about worship. It's so good. It's based on Hebrews 13, verse 15. It says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So in the Old Testament times, they would offer up sacrifices of animals and produce. But under Jesus and the new covenant, God no longer desires those kind of sacrifices. He wants you to give your life to him, your body as a living sacrifice. And we express love to him through the way that we sing and serve and give, but also through music. Our worship is a way that we offer praise to God, and it's pleasing to him. Maybe you aren't really familiar with worship and why we do it, but I want you to understand how biblical this is, what we do. It says in Psalm 95, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. So the Bible commands us hundreds of times to sing to God. Let me just say that again. The Bible commands us. To sing to God, not based on if you have a good voice or if you like the songs, right, or how you're feeling. It just says, sing to God. In Psalm 134, it says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. So we lift our hands in church as a way of signifying we're victorious, that we surrender to God as our king, that we're ready to receive what he has For us, but also when we lift up hands to the Lord as a way, it represents our hearts being lifted up to God and it blesses the Lord. It blesses God in heaven to see his kids reaching for him, saying, God, I want you in my life. And then in Psalm 47, it says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Okay, so this clapping. In church, this clapping, this isn't like a, a little token of appreciation for the worship team. Like, good job, you guys. You put, you put a lot of effort into worship there. That was super good. This is a way, biblically, that we emphasize what we're saying and what we're singing. We emphasize, yes, God is good. So like moms, you know, you might clap at your kids. Like, hey, listen to me. Right? But you can also clap in a good way. Like, yes, God is good. We know that a lot of people come to church, but they didn't grow up in a culture that expresses passion and worship. Some people, you say, I didn't come from that kind of church background at all. The kind of church I grew up in, we were quiet, we were reserved, we were somber. But I want you to understand that reserved worship is a learned cultural behavior, not a biblical behavior. If you just read the Bible, you would not come away from that believing that worship should be reserved and quiet and somber. Some of you think that's more reverent, but it's actually more reverent to express passion for God and magnify him and lift up praise worthy of his greatness. So I just gotta ask, do you care more about the culture or denominational background you grew up in or what the Bible actually says? And then it's not just about you. That's the other thing. It's not just about you. I said last week, your worship is a witness. It's a witness. And every week we have people in our church who are not Christians. They're not believers. They got maybe invited or they came searching for answers. And the way that you worship can actually change people's lives. And I want to read you an email I got on Monday. This email said, Pastor Ryan, great sermon yesterday. Thanks. <laughs> uh, praise and worship can change lives 
About four years ago, my wife asked me if I would go to church with her, and much to her surprise, I said yes. When we arrived at the church, I wanted to sit in the back. I didn't want to be approached by any church people, and I wanted to have a close exit, a close, uh, be close to the exit for a quick getaway. When praise and worship started and I saw all the hands in the air, this overwhelming feeling came over me and tears started rolling down my face. It wasn't the sermon that affected me. It was the faith I was witnessing right in front of me, and it changed my life. Not long after that, he says, my wife and I were saved and accepted Jesus as our Savior. He said, I didn't realize until much later, but sitting in the back of the church was all part of God's plan. He wanted me to see everyone's hands lifted high, and it still deep, deeply impacts me to this day. And so this was from Alan. It's so true. You can actually see faith. You can see faith. It looks like this. Now, I don't lift up my hands to Santa Claus because I don't believe in him. But I do lift up my hands to Jesus because he's real. And I believe it. This is a demonstration of faith. To sing to God and praise him and lift up my hands and lift up my heart. It takes faith to do that. When unbelievers Outsiders come in and they see a church filled of people with passion, their mouths open singing to God, their hearts open, their hands up, right? They don't always know how to articulate it or explain it, but something inside of them registers. You people have something I don't have, and I don't know what it is, but I want it. So I want to encourage you, church, lift up praise to God in a way that proves to outsiders that Jesus is alive and has given you victory. Some of you are like, well, I'm just not really that guy. I'm more the reserve type. But would you be willing to try it God's way for a little while and just see what happens? Yeah. Let's just try it God's way and see what happens. So today, I want to talk about worship as warfare. Worship as warfare. I'm not talking about how in some churches people fight over whether they should sing hymns or new songs, right? I'm talking about the fact that there is a spiritual battle raging for your soul right now. I want you to imagine with me for a moment Imagine you found out that a burglar was casing your home. He was scoping your home out and he was planning next, next time you go to sleep, tomorrow night, when the lights go down, he's gonna break in, he's gonna steal your stuff and hurt your family. Imagine you found out that this was gonna happen. What would you do? What would you do with that information? Okay, here's, here's some things I think all of us would do. Probably call the police. Right? You probably call the police. You probably call on a higher power to come and protect you. Another thing you'd probably do is probably lock and load. Right, guys? You get your guns out. You start cleaning them, right? You'd be loading up ammo. I was going to bring a gun tonight, but I didn't want to scare the liberals, so I just brought a bat. Maybe you grab a hammer, a bat, a kitchen knife, right? You grab some weapon to protect yourself, right? You'd also go around, you check every single door, you check all the locks, the windows, you'd make sure your house was secure so it wouldn't be easy for anyone to sneak in. You'd probably go around the house, you'd probably turn on every single light in the house, wouldn't you? And outside the house. Because we know we're safer in the light than in the dark. And you'd probably call five to six of your buddies, 
Not your artsy poet friend, Stefan. You'd call T-Bone, Bubba, and Billy Bob. Like, I got some friends in this church. I, I love them. They're saved, but they're barely saved. You know what I mean? Like, they haven't been Christians that long. It hasn't been that long since they were cracking skulls. They're not afraid to crack skulls for Jesus. I call those guys to come over and sit with me and just wait by my side. Well, you've probably heard God loves you and has a great plan for your life. But it's also true that the devil hates you and has a terrible plan to destroy your life. If a criminal was planning to break into your house, unfortunately, you probably wouldn't know until it was too late. But God loves you so much that he puts in his word a warning to you that there is an enemy, the devil, who is a thief who has already come to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. So if you knew a criminal was going to break into your home and you would take extreme measures to protect yourself, right? How much more should you take every step possible to protect you and your family and your eternal soul from the spiritual battle that is being waged against you? In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In other words, you're not fighting against people. You think your battle is with people, people who have a different background than you, people who have a different political party than you, people who have a different skin color than you. Your battle is not with people. Your battle is with spirits and specifically the devil and his demonic forces. This is not a battle against flesh and blood. That means we can't fight with flesh and blood tactics. We have to fight with spiritual weapons. We have to know this is a spiritual war. And so this same passage goes on to tell us we've got to put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God, the belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Should a pastor preach with a bat? I don't know. But in Psalm 23, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's biblical. So we put on the full armor of God, but it's not good enough just to get dressed for war. You also know, have to know how to wage war. You have to know how to actually fight. And the Bible shows us this pattern again and again that the way that we wage war is through worship. It's through worship. I'm gonna read from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 tonight. If you wanna follow along in your Bible, you can join me. I'm gonna read a whole lot of this chapter. I think this is one of the coolest chapters in the whole Bible. It's so powerful. And it teaches us a lot about worship. It says this, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites, along with the Cellulites, Parasites, and Termites, <laughs> all the ites, all the bad guys, declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. That's a weird name, right? If you ever read the Bible and you feel intimidated by the weird names, don't worry about trying to pronounce them, right? Just say H-Town and King J-Dog. You don't need to worry about pronouncing them. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. 
He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. That's interesting to me. You know, I read that this week and I saw it said, whenever we're faced with any calamity, including a plague, we can come to stand in your presence. Made me wonder, I wonder if Christians around the world last year spent more time in God's presence and less time worried about social distance if we wouldn't have been a lot better off. This is the unedited version of the sermon for the day. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Now, see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. We don't know what to do. We're scared, but we're looking to you for help. We can probably all relate to this. Have you been overwhelmed by the circumstances of life at one point or another? Maybe scared, not knowing what to do, frustrated, dealing with the problem that you couldn't fix on your own? I think we all have, whether it's a lender calling you, a boss that's being unfair to you, a circumstance that you can't fix, a disease you can't heal. When we get frustrated like this and overwhelmed like this, it causes us to deal with feelings like fear, anxiety, we get overwhelmed and scared, right? And at a certain point, if you've been overwhelmed and scared for long enough, it will start to spill out of you in all kinds of ways, maybe tears. Have you ever been so frustrated and angry that you cried? Like you, you didn't even feel like crying, you were just mad, but tears started coming out, but you, you're just like, I don't even know why I'm crying, I'm just so mad. Or you get so frustrated and overwhelmed, like, like maybe you take it out on innocent people or you try to numb the pain in other ways. Well, you realize that we were not designed by God to carry the burdens of our frustrations. We were not designed to handle our problems. I hear people say all the time, and I pray that none of you will ever say it again for the rest of your lives, okay? Pay attention to this part. People say, God will not give you more than you can handle. That is stupid. Do you think Daniel could handle being thrown in the lion's den? Do you think the Israelites could handle crossing the Red Sea on their own? No. God gives us a lot more than we can handle. The Bible never says God will not give you more than you can handle, but we know God will not give you more than he can handle. You were never designed to handle your problems. God calls you to turn your problems over to him. And one of the ways that we take our burdens and bring them to Jesus is through worship. God removes worry through worship. That's one of the reasons we're called to worship, and it's such a gift to us. There have been times in my life when I've been so overwhelmed or sad or frustrated, I just, I just wanted to scream. 
to be honest. Any, any of you ever been there where you, you just actually like put your face in a pillow and yell? <laughs> Maybe you went out in a garage where no one would hear you and you just screamed. Maybe you even hit something because you're just trying to get that frustration out. But it doesn't really help, does it? Like, so you could put your face in a pillow and yell so no one hears you, or you could cry out to God who always hears you and cares about you and has the power to save. You know, when I was a little kid, I learned this song, and it goes, I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet, and any time I don't know what to do i just cast all my cares upon you and a song like that teaches you in times of trouble and difficulty what to do cast your cares upon you and i've sang that song i learned another gospel song when i got older based on psalm 121 that says I will lift up my eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. And it goes on to say, my help, my help, my help, my help. All of my help cometh from the Lord. And I've learned to sing songs like that when I'm overwhelmed and frustrated. And sometimes I'll cry. I'll be like, my help comes from but I always come out of it feeling a lot better, a lot stronger. And can I just be honest, man? Some of you maybe said last year crushed me. Last year just crushed me, all the different stress and the different divisions and the fights and the anguish and the anxiety, it crushed me. But maybe it crushed you because you were carrying burdens that you weren't designed to carry. If you feel overwhelmed often, it's probably because you're not worshiping often enough. You've got to lift up to God your needs. Lift up your worries to him, the one who cares about you and can rescue you. And this is so important because there is an enemy that wants to attack you. There is a threat that's real. But if you are so overwhelmed and scared, you're not going to have the courage to actually face the fight. As we call out to God to save us like that, you don't have to have a good voice. I obviously don't care about that. As you cry out and worship like that, you remind yourself, my help cometh from the Lord. What you're doing is you're encouraging your own spirit and you're building yourself up in the Lord. Okay, it goes on to say this, verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there, his name was Jehaziel. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same. Look, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites, the pastors, they stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. So I want to teach you some principles out of this. First, worship establishes leadership. 
The enemy was coming, and what did the king do? The king could have met with his generals and advisors to come up with a battle strategy, but instead he called the people to fast and come to the temple where they started to pray, cry out to God, and worship the Lord. He provided excellent leadership in this moment by calling people to worship God, even though he was dealing with fear himself. And this resonated with me. I I think about when I was an army officer before I was a pastor, training for combat, preparing to go to a combat zone. One of the things with soldiers, for those of you who were not in the military, soldiers know whenever an attack comes, whenever a fight starts, soldiers are trained instinctively to look to their leaders. They look to their officers, their non-commissioned officers, and what they're doing is they're looking, they're listening for orders. They're watching for signals that will tell them what to do, how to fight, and where to move. An army that's not receiving orders, that's not looking to leadership, is helpless. And, And so this is a principle for us. When we are facing an enemy, we need to understand who our leader is. Our leader. Now, I think about this from a personal perspective. As a pastor, I'm in a leadership role. And when I come out into services before I preach and I come sit in the front area or stand up here during worship, before I preach, I'll worship God because I need to worship before I preach. And then I'll pray. I'll pray. And over time, the way I pray has changed. When I was younger, I would be getting ready to preach and I'd be dealing with different feelings of anxiety, maybe a little bit of fear because you're all scary to preach to sometimes. <laughs> you should see your faces sometimes. I'm like, so I, pr- I pray, I'd be like, God, help me. I'd be like, God, help me. And I'd be like, God, help me to preach good. God, help me to sound good. Help, help me to look good too if you're at it. I mean, <laughs> and at a certain point, God convicted me. Isn't he good like that? He challenges us and he convicts us and he said, you know, Ryan, you'd get a lot further if you'd spend less time asking me to help you look good and if you'd spend more time declaring that I am good. And see, this is actually a a true principle for every single one of us. If you wanna be successful in life, don't worry about asking God to glorify you. Spend your energy glorifying him. Don't pray that God would lift you up. Use your worship to lift him up because the word of God already told you that anyone who exalts the Lord will be lifted up, but anyone who's prideful will be humbled. So when I praise God, what I'm doing, when I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm reestablishing his leadership in my life. When I worship him, I'm declaring my allegiance to him. And when you declare your allegiance to him, he's gonna reveal his love to you. When you set your sights on him, he's gonna set you on the right path. When you put your focus on him, he's gonna strengthen your faith for the fight. Establish his leadership in your life by worshiping him. And I wanna point this out. Not only did the king lead the people, but it said that the men led their families. In verse 13, look at this. It said, all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children. This passage, this really stuck out to me. And so I want to talk to the men for a minute. I love the men of Generation Church. Where are the men at tonight? We got some great, strong men 
in this church. And so ladies, I'm just gonna talk to the guys for a second, but you might get something out of this part, but this is really for the guys. Okay, so men, your families need you to lead them, especially in warfare. Your family needs to see you worship if you're a Christian. And I've been to a lot of churches as I've visited churches over the years and stuff. And one of the things I've noticed is a pattern that more often than not, the women worship more passionately than the men. And, you know, on one hand, I kind of understand women tend to be better at expressing themselves than guys. And worship really is expressing love to God. But on the other hand, that's, that's definitely a problem. I'm not okay with that. I don't accept that. That's just the way it is. One pastor told me, well, that's just the way it is. Guys don't like to sing. I'm like, "Ah, I don't accept that. I don't really care what guys like. I care about what God wants. But a lot of times it's not the guy's fault, if I'm being truthful. There are a lot of churches that don't establish strong male leadership in worship. Like, I've been to some church, like, the worship leader gets up, and he's like, okay, you guys, we're just going to love Jesus today. And you're like, I'm not really sure I want to worship like that. There's a lot of churches where worship is kind of, like, feminine and more girly than probably should be. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I'll give you an example. Here's a worship song from about 10 years ago. Some of the lyrics said, I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hands, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heartbeat. This love is so deep. It's more than I can stand. I melt in your peace. It's overwhelming. So I'm a man. I ain't singing that. Mm-mm. No, I'm not singing that. Nah. Uh Uh-uh. And honestly, I don't even want my wife singing that. It would make me jealous of Jesus. It's like snuggling up against Jesus. Hmm. I'm like, oh, this is gross. So a lot of guys get this misunderstanding of worship like it's feminine, but it's not. It's not her ship. It's worship. Men, I need you to understand with me. I know men are visual learners. Worship is not this. Some of you guys think you have to be this way if you're going to worship God. We love you, Lord. We love you. (laughs) That's not worship is more like this. Worship is not this. Okay, that's not that's not what I'm asking you to be, man. Worship is more like this. This is what the devil sees when men of God worship. He sees spiritual warriors, mighty men of God coming to do battle. And I just want you to understand how intentional our church is about the worship songs that we sing at church. You know, like at girls' night, there are some songs, like we'll let the ladies sing. But at church on Sundays, when the whole church is together, like we're very intentional. Our our songs need to be male-friendly. I put worship leaders up on stage to lead you that are mighty men of God, like dudes I would want having my back in a fight. You know what I'm saying? Because I want to see men learn how to worship God. I know that a lot of guys, they kind of they wrestle with that. Maybe you're a little insecure more than you'd like to admit. You kind of worry what other people might think about you. You want to look cool in front of your friends. None of us are really as cool as we wish we were. 
And I think honestly what separates the men from the boys is that men have the courage to do what's right regardless of what other people think. Like David, David in the Bible was just a bad dude. David killed a giant with a sling and then cut his head off to just establish total victory, right? Dude killed a lion and a bear in hand-to-hand combat. None of us are cooler than David. And yet this guy is the most passionate worshiper in the whole Bible. So passionately did he worship God that people made fun of him for it, but he didn't care because he was a bad dude. And he wasn't just, you know, victorious in battle and he just happened to be a, a worshiper, you know. He was victorious and successful because he was a worshiper. Because he was a worshiper. Men, men, not only is worshiping God the most manly thing you could really do. I talked about this last week. God made you a man. God designed you to worship. And the more you do what you were made to do, the more you are who you were made to be. Worship is the most manly thing a man can do. It's the most beautiful thing a woman can do. Not only is that true, but you have a responsibility as a man to lead, to lead your family, your wife, your children, and your church in worship. You know what? Men should be the most passionate worshipers in every church. Those of you who are married, I can tell you what, men, nothing will give your wife more confidence than seeing her husband passionately worship God. Those of you guys who might be single here tonight, nothing is gonna help you score a woman of God out of your league like worshiping with passion. It's attractive, isn't it, ladies? But I've seen too often, too often, and I'm just challenging you in love. I love you. I'm not trying to put anyone down, make anyone feel embarrassed. This is coming from a place of love. I've seen too often families where, you know, the wife is worshiping, the kids are worshiping, and the dad's just watching. You wouldn't just stand back and watch while your kids and wife defended you from a home invader. Getting out-worshipped by your wife is like getting out-bench-pressed by your wife. It doesn't mean you're not a man. It's just not the kind of man you want to be. <laughs> and some of you are like, I'm the strong, silent type. Well, how about being the stronger worshiping type, right? Don't speak softly and carry a big stick. Sing loudly and carry the sword of the spirit. The devil is afraid of men of God worshiping with boldness and passion. There is nothing more dangerous to hell than men of God who know how to worship with passion, And that's why the enemy wants to stop men from being men. And he's created a culture all around you in this world that wants to feminize men and intimidate them and quiet them down into little politically correct, nice boys when God made you to be loud, bold, strong men of God. But listen, guys, you've got to lead. You've got to lead, especially in spiritual warfare. I'm going to challenge you right now, okay? I swear I love you. (laughs) How are you going to stand up for Jesus out there if you don't even have the confidence to raise a hand up to him in here? I don't honestly care about your comfort. (laughs) I care about your calling. And I want to see you equipped to fulfill your calling. 
If you want to win the war, you've got to learn how to wage the war through worship. And I want to say to all the men of God in this church, there is greatness in you. There is greatness in you. You wouldn't be here right now. You wouldn't be here online if there wasn't greatness in you. There's a lot of other places you could be today. Your wives know the fact that you're here with them. There's greatness in you. The fact that you're here, your mama's so happy. She said, there's greatness in you. But that greatness can only come out of you as you lead the way you were designed by God to lead. I want you to know that even though I challenge you, I believe in you. I believe in you and I challenge you because I believe in you. This church believes in you and we support you and we are here to equip men of God to be mighty leaders for God. And so we worship to establish leadership in our homes and in our families and in our church. And, we, and then we worship to prepare for war. This is the next thing if you're taking notes. We worship to prepare for war. Okay, now I, I've seen some fights Anybody ever watch a fight, boxing fight, maybe a UFC fight, something like that? I won't judge you if you have. I watched them. Uh, so if you watch a UFC, here, here's a video of a UFC fighter coming into the ring. Check this out. Okay, so I wanted you to see this. Here's this guy coming in with his walk-in music, Sweet Caroline, interesting choice, but okay, whatever works for you. And he's pumped, right? He's getting pumped. He's jumping around, he's skipping in, he's dancing in, he's practically running, he's got his posse with him all around him for moral support. He's high-fiving people in the room, right? He's got his hands up, right? Why, why would you do that? Why would you do that before you're gonna fight? Because it would actually make more sense rationally to conserve your energy. But that's not how you get ready for a fight. This guy was getting himself psyched to fight, wasn't he? You know, God actually designed that music would pump you up, energize you, help you focus and give you strength. So if a random rock song gets this dude pumped up to fight, how much more powerful is worshiping the Lord, mighty in battle? King Jehoshaphat, all the Israelites, they were scared because they heard the enemy was coming, but then they got this word of encouragement. Remember it said in verse 15, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's tomorrow march out against them. March out against them, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. And it says, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. And then the Levites stood up and they praised the Lord and they lifted up a loud shout. Okay, so I want to point some things out from this. The battle was the Lord's, but the people were still ordered to march out. Why? I would have been like, well, can I just stay here at home? <laughs> if the battle's yours, God's, I'd rather just, you know, stay in my PJs today where it's safe and sound. But God ordered them to march out, didn't he? See, God is going to fight your battles, but he still calls you to face your battles. And it's one thing to hear the battle is the Lord's. It's another thing to overcome your fear of the enemy and muster up the courage to move out 
toward the enemy. How do you do that? How do you get past the fear when you hear there's this great army coming to destroy you? How do you head out to face them? Well, we can see what the Israelites did. They got themselves psyched for the fight. They started to praise and worship the Lord. They lifted up a loud shout, right? Just like this UFC fighter was getting prepared to fight in hand-to-hand combat. You see, God's people were getting prepared to fight in spiritual combat. And so they were getting pumped. They lifted up a loud shout like, yeah, the battle is the Lord's. And they worshiped him and they praised him. And, and it just makes sense. You know, medically, scientifically, when we sing, science tells us it releases endorphins, lowers our stress, boosts our immune system and memory, benefits your heart, boosts clear thinking and correct breathing. It changes your emotional and physical landscape. It's one of the only things you can do that calms your mind and energizes your spirit at the same time. Do you think that's an accident? You think we just evolved that way? No, I think God designed it that way. That when we worship him, we would receive all those medical benefits and the spiritual benefits of singing praise to God. Why do you think the Israelites cried out with a really loud shout? Psalm 47, remember, says, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Well, I think it's just like Braveheart crying out with a loud shout. Why would you lift up a loud shout when you're getting ready to go into battle and face the enemy? Well, when you shout, it scares the enemy and it encourages you. When you sing loud in triumph, you're reminding the devil of his destiny and you of yours. The devil is defeated, but we are victorious. And so look, when you're singing and you're moving to worship and you're clapping, right? You're lifting up your hands in praise, right? You're not just worshiping God with your heart or your vocal cords, but you're getting your whole body in the action aligned with your spirit. That's why when I'm worshiping God, like I'm just gonna move sometime, right? Because if singing's good, how much better is it to sing and get my whole beat as Psalm talks about, praising the Lord, right? The spiritual benefit of that, that gets me psyched for the fight. That's why we, we have to worship. It's, it's what prepares us for war. And we gotta do this every week, whether we feel like it or not. Why? Because you never know what battles are coming. So you've always gotta be preparing yourself for war. It goes on to say, verse 20, this is amazing. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. That's not normal, is it? This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise. Watch. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, 
All they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder, it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which God has named that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. So the army marches out to face the enemies, and the king sends the singers. The king sends the worship team out ahead of the soldiers. Now, we would be okay if that was our worship team, but not a lot of other churches' worship teams. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure those worship team leaders, they're out there with their guitars and their drums, like, we're going to get slaughtered up here. We don't even know, we don't even know what we're here for, right? And they started to sing and worship God. And what did the Lord do? He confused the enemy and he defeated the enemy by killing the enemy with the enemy. <laughs> this is epic. They didn't have to lift up a spear or a sword. They just lifted up praise to the Lord. So you see this, we worship to win the war. Not just prepare for the war, but also to actually win the war. Remember how you would respond if a burglar was going to break in your home. You'd call on a higher authority. Well, when we worship God, we're calling on the highest authority to come and rescue us. You probably lock and load. When you worship God, you are equipping yourself with all the spiritual weapons that you need to defeat the enemy. You would probably secure your home. When you worship, you are guarding your, your heart and you're strengthening your faith by prophetically singing the Lord's victory even before you see the victory. You, when you worship, right, the light of Jesus Christ fills your heart and drives darkness out of your home. When you worship the Lord, the commander of heaven's armies, you are telling him you need reinforcements. And like Psalm 91 says, he will send his angels to guard you and watch over you. It's so easy when there's an enemy, when there's a threat, when there's a struggle to get focused on the enemy, to get focused on the threat. You'll focus on it, you'll think about it, you'll start Googling how to fix it, you'll call everyone, you'll call your mama, you'll call your pastor. But the thing is, the more you focus on the threat, the more you will worry. The more you'll worry. But if instead you put your focus on the Lord, well then you can just worship. You can just worship the Lord while he wins the war for you. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. It doesn't promise that the weapon won't be formed. It does pro promise that the enemy will not prosper. What the Israelites faced was an enemy army that formed. It came together and it marched against them, but it did not prosper, did it? God defeated the enemy in rare form. And then... We see that this enemy army came thinking they were coming to destroy God's people. But watch, they were actually just delivery boys. <laughs> they had actually just come to deliver blessing to God's people. Yeah. They came to deliver treasure to God's people, right? The, the army of Judah shows up. The enemy's all dead. They don't have to fight. They just go out and 
take their stuff. <laughs> it takes them three days to collect all the enemy stuff. And what I'm trying to get you to learn in this sermon is that if you'll learn to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth with passion, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week, the Lord will turn your battles into blessings. And the place of your greatest battle will become the place of blessing in your life. God will take what the enemy meant to use to destroy you and he will redeem it to bless you. How many of you God's already done that in your life? He's taken what the enemy meant for evil and he's turned it for good. And, and in a war, in, in an army, every unit has their role. Every, every soldier has a part to play. Well, I want you to understand this spiritually. God's role is to win the war. Your role is to worship God. That's how you win the battle. You worship him. And in verse 27, as the story wraps up, it says, Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed, I would say, that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. So you see that these guys, they came back home with all their plunder and they just came in celebrating, singing those praise songs. Right, they're just celebrating, they're worshiping God, right? And they worship themselves all the way to the temple. I'm about to start singing, I went into the enemy's camp. <laughs> Took back what he stole from me, right? Old school worship songs. And they, had, they were celebrating like this because they had experienced such incredible victory in battle. They had every reason to celebrate. That's why they were overjoyed, amen? They were overjoyed. We've always got to worship. We've always got to come to church every week and worship. We've got to, at home, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, we've got to worship because you never know. Church, listen, you never know if you're preparing for a battle, fighting a battle, and you need to be ready at all times for whatever the enemy might send your way. But whatever it is that you might face or you end up facing, we always have a reason to worship because we're always victorious. Like these guys came home celebrating, worshiping God for the victory in battle. Even if you're still dealing with some struggles of life, and you will, we all will still struggle, right? We'll face some inconveniences, some frustrations, some, some setbacks. In the, in the midst of all that, you're never defeated, you're only victorious. We're still victorious because of what Jesus has done for us. You know, we have this ministry at our church called Celebrate Recovery. I love Celebrate Recovery. I love how passionate the people in Celebrate Recovery are. You know, when you visit Celebrate Recovery, everybody there knows how to worship. They worship with passion. They're so excited, they're so grateful. Because this ministry, it helps people who are struggling with hurts, habits, hangups. And people in this ministry have been delivered by God and his mighty power, which sets us free from sin and bondage. If you need to be set free, God has the power to set you free. But I want you to understand that the people at CR, the Celebrate Recovery, they have not been delivered from more than you have. 
they're just sometimes more aware of their deliverance than you are. We've all been delivered from so much. God has set all of us free from so much. And you know what's even more powerful than being delivered from a bad habit? Being delivered from hell. Before, before we accepted Jesus, we were going to hell. We were going to spend eternity in hell, a place of fire, torment, darkness, torture. There is weeping and gnashing of teeth, no hope for escape, no second chances. And the worst part is being eternally separated from God. We were all on that path. And in fact, there might be some of you here tonight who are actually still on that path. If you were to die tonight, you would go to hell. But when we accepted Jesus, we were set free from hell. Amen. He forgave our sins. He rescued us from hell. He made us a child of God. He poured out God's favor and blessing upon us. He filled us with the Holy Spirit so that we would never be separated from God. It's the opposite of hell. When you get saved, you get filled with the Holy Spirit so you'll never be separated from God. Again, he set us on the right path and he gave us victory. So if you're a Christian tonight, you are victorious and you always have a reason to celebrate. When we worship God, it doesn't matter if you had a bad day on Friday, you've got a reason to worship on Sunday. You notice with the Israelites, God gave them rest and peace. And when you accept Jesus, you receive the peace that surpasses understanding. I want to encourage you in this, just practically. If you'll worship God throughout the week, he'll give you more peace in your heart. He will. And if you'll worship God on a regular basis, the way the Bible describes, you will have more rest in your life. I would go so far as to say that if you'll really worship God the way you were designed to, the enemy will not attack you the way he used to. Why? Because he learns there's no point messing with you. <laughs> he's got limited resources. He's not everywhere like God. He's not all power. He's only got so much time in the day and so much people to help. And so if, if he learns there's no point messing with you, he's going to move on and mess with someone else. I'm not going to mess with her. She knows how to worship. I might as well just move on down the road and try someone else. And this is, just, this is just true. It just plays out in so many ways. Like, ladies, you start living for God, you're not going to have to deal with as many guys trying to get with you for all the wrong reasons. Because they're just going to see, like, well, there's no point. She's obviously not that way. Guys, you start living for God, you're not going to have as many dudes inviting you to hang out and get drunk and get into trouble because they're just going to realize, like, well, there's not really any point. He doesn't really do that. You're going to end up with more rest in your life if you'll live for God and worship him the way you were designed to. You'll have more peace in your heart. I wanna do this right now. I wanna ask everyone just to close their eyes and bow their heads. And if you're here tonight and you'd say, I don't know if I'm saved. Maybe you know right now, if I died right now, I don't know where I would go. If you wanna be saved and if you wanna be rescued from hell, if you wanna know that heaven is your home and that you can be a child of God, if you wanna be forgiven of sin and filled with the spirit of God, I'm gonna invite you to accept Jesus tonight. That's the only way to be saved. If you're ready for that, just pray this with me. Just say, God, I need you to save me. 
Just say, I need you to forgive my sins and I ask you to. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven. And I believe that he rose again so I could have eternal life. I accept Jesus as my king, as my Lord, as my savior. I'm gonna live for him for the rest of my life. I thank you, God, for loving me and leading me and fighting my battles. And I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.